Hello, everybody, and welcome to Full Spectrum Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Daniel, and joining me is my co-host, Dylan. How's it going, everybody? So we want to welcome you to the first official podcast episode, Full Spectrum Paranormal Podcast. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about our history in Colorado with paranormal investigation and our favorite locations and the places that we consider to be most haunted. Yes, and as... Most of you know, if you've read the podcast description, um, we are the co-founders of the Spirit Trackers Paranormal Investigation Team. We're based out of Denver, Colorado. We've been around since 2011, so we've been to quite a few places throughout the state. And we figured that we would give you the lowdown on some of our favorite places that we've been to. Because it's one thing to read about them online and find them on, like, the lists of haunted places. On Ranker. It's the first thing that popped up when I typed in Haunted Colorado. Ranker, uh, Shadowlands, some of those other ghost hunting indexes that haven't been updated since, like, before we even started investigating. Right. They're still looking the exact same. So instead of having to rely on that, we kind of want to give you some insight on some of our favorite places, places we've been, and just tell you about some of the experiences we've had there, because that is something you will not find on any of those websites. No, not at all. All right, let's get right into it. Um, so the first place that we went to when we were just getting started out in, back in 2011 as a paranormal investigation team is the Longmont Masonic Lodge right there in Longmont, Colorado. And anytime you have anything to do with the Masons, you can kind of expect activity to be happening wherever they meet. Plenty of crazy theories out there. Yeah, a lot of crazy theories about their about there about them the masons so that would fit right in with this podcast there's another topic for us oh for sure the masons inside secrets all right what do we want to talk about with uh with longmont with the lodge that i wish we could get back in oh for <laughs> sure for sure our yeah. uh, our contact there is no longer involved as far as i know yeah and the new guy there doesn't seem very inclined to letting paranormal investigators investigate which is a sad thing for this industry. Some people are open and perfectly fine with letting paranormal investigators in, but then you get new management or somebody else takes over, and then they have a completely different outlook. But yeah, way back in 2011, we went there for our very first paranormal investigation, and that was pretty fun. It was pretty crazy what happened. Oh, yeah. I would say definitely, uh, well, the bat was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. That was a good time. Bats like to scare the crap out of paranormal investigators. All the time, and we cannot seem to get away from them. <laughs> but, yeah, we had a range of experiences there from cold spots to smelling cigar smoke to having electronics just malfunction. When we first got there on our first investigation, I turned on my digital camera that I had with me at the time, and it was flashing the low battery symbol. So I put a pair of new batteries in, and it said... I went to turn it on, and it wouldn't turn on, and it said to change the batteries. So I put the old batteries back in. Old batteries lasted about an hour and a half throughout the investigation. Then they finally died. And then right before we left, I decided on a whim just to put the other batteries in from the new battery pack that I just opened that 
were supposedly dead the first time I tried them, and the camera turned on right away. So, really, don't know what happened with that. It's common on, like, every single thing we go out on. Have issues with batteries. Um, I remember a friend of ours, he had a, I don't remember if he had an MP3 player or a phone with him. His MP3 player? Yeah, and his music playlist got completely changed around. Uh, that's not something I've heard of happening before. Yeah, he couldn't get it to turn off, and then it just shut off by itself. And then he turned it back on, and it was on a song that he didn't even know he had on his eye. His uh, MP3 player. I heard some door slams um, out of nowhere. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was trippy. Hearing very a, loud. Yeah, a very loud door slam, and we had the team separated at that point, and I thought it was Dylan and his part of the team that had slammed the door. And then next thing I know, he's asking me if that was me, and then I realized that was none of us that had slammed the door. Yeah, had a lot of knocking sounds there the first time. Yeah, that seemed to be pretty common at the lodge. And there was the guy who hung himself back in the 70s or whenever that had happened. Um, and I think we think we got in contact with him and talked to him and tried to help him pass over, however you want to look at that, whatever your beliefs are. Yeah, that was in one of the hallways, and that hallway got really cold. Oh, yeah. Even with the air and everything turned off. It wasn't just the whole building, it was just that room that would just randomly start getting like freezing cold i'd say one of the coolest things that i remember um unfortunately this is something that we weren't able to really get on video but as we mentioned earlier with the cigar smoke there was a fire back in the what was that 1890s way back when i don't remember yeah way back before anyone before podcasts were a thing for sure (laughs) (laughs) um there was a fire and it was believed to have been caused by uh, someone that was smoking a cigar. So that's kind of the theory on that one. But what we did is we had some cigars for after we finished our lockdown. And uh, so we had a cigar and we were talking to the spirit that we believed to be the cigar smoker. And we had the cigar in our hand and it actually started rolling slightly about uh, an eighth of a revolution at a time. It rolled about an inch in my hand. And I was holding my hand completely still, wasn't moving, sitting still at the top of the stairs where this spirit was said to reside. And it moved from the palm of my hand about halfway up my fingers over the course of about three minutes. Yeah, yeah. And we did have that on video, but it's just one of those things that it didn't uh, didn't move enough to be... It didn't move dramatically enough to be seen on video. Yeah, unfortunately. But then moving on, the second place we ever investigated was, I almost said the Longmont Cemetery... Uh, the Lafayette Municipal Cemetery, which is host to one of Colorado's most famous urban legends. So back in 1918, an immigrant from Eastern Europe whose name was Tudor Glava, he came over to the United States to, uh, to Lafayette, Colorado, and he ended up dying in 1918. And it was rumored that Tudor Glava was a vampire. And... Being an Eastern European immigrant to a small town like Louisville, Louisville, Lafayette, Louisville. Quite po- yeah, one of the small areas. Um, let me look this up really fast. Hopefully, I typed in that website correctly. Yep, I did. But being an Eastern U- European immigrant to such a small town in the U.S., he definitely stuck out. And it's the Lafayette Municipal Cemetery. Right. Yes. And he died in 1918 at about the time of a massive influenza epidemic that was sweeping through Colorado. And back in those days, vampire legends were 
alive and well, and if you stuck out and were different and did not fit in with everybody else, you were thought to be a vampire. And unfortunately for Mr. Glava, the legend has it that people thought he was a vampire, everybody in the town was dying from an influenza outbreak, and somebody stabbed him through the heart with a wooden stake, which is the way to kill a vampire, according to legend. And now if you visit his grave in the Lafayette Municipal Cemetery, the tree that grows out from the middle of it is said to have sprouted from the spike that was driven through his heart. Very interesting stuff. Such a heartless act. Boom. <laughs> but we investigated there. It didn't get much anything. A lot of a lot of uh, stories say that people will see a shadow figure standing over the, gla- the glaive. The grave. Um, people will get EVP saying, take the stake, who killed me? Um, but that's just all legend. Haven't heard right. any of those confirmed. EVPs. Haven't seen any photos, videos that can confirm, confirm that. And like I said, when we were there, nothing much happened. We did get one really interesting EVP, though. Um, a Class 1 EVP that was pertinent to Toto Glaver and whoever else is buried in that grave. And it was just a very low, breathy whisper saying, Austria. And we captured that. And that was our first ever EVP that we captured. Yes. Also, that was our first ever time being called an insult by a spirit. No, that was the second time we went there in 2014 for ghost quest that was the first time we were ever insulted by a spirit though yeah at that that same location location. yeah we per fcc rules we can't voice it over the air so i'll voice it through the podcast or you can just watch our movie ghost quest (coughs) which you can find under the our films link on our website www.spirittrackersteam.weebly.com and then moving on from there we investigated Cheeseman Park. Yes, Cheeseman Park, which actually draws upon uh, what we're talking about in the last story with the influenza outbreak. Um, no, it was a grave site. How many of you knew that? That Cheeseman Park in downtown Denver was actually a grave. The city's first cemetery back when Denver was just started. And actually not even just a cemetery, but even a mass grave at one point. That's what it turned into being, and it became so unsightly that they moved the bodies to different cemeteries, and the guy they hired to undertake that task was kind of corrupt. It was a bit unethical, absolutely. And there's still said to be over 2,000 bodies buried in Cheeseman Park. If you pay attention to local news, if you're from Colorado, or if you ever see anything from Colorado, um, every time they do like a renovation in the park, they'll end up, if they're doing any digging, they'll end up finding usually one to three bodies. Yeah, and bones are unearthed. Every month there. All the time. Archaeologist paradise. Oh, yeah. And paranormal paradise, too. We've been there quite a few times. We've had a few different EMF oddities that we've captured, and you're in the middle of a park. There should be no EMF readings being captured at all on any devices in the middle of a park. Absolutely. Um, One of the coolest things I remember is we were out there with uh we were doing an sb7 spirit box session which if any of you watch the paranormal investigation shows ghost adventures and whatnot you'll definitely be familiar with that but so we're sitting we're all sitting there we're with another team and we're running the sb7 and someone says hey that was spanish that came out so they started speaking to uh, the spirit in spanish and i've been studying languages for many many years and i said no no that wasn't spanish 
So I started asking the spirit um, if it speaks Russian. And next thing we know, and if you've watched Ghost Adventures and any of that stuff, you'll know that it's common to get like one, two, maybe three words out of the spirit box. But usually that's about all you'll get. After I asked in Russian, do you speak Russian? Entire sentences began to flow in Russian. For a good couple seconds, too. And Denver has absolutely no Russian stations. No, nothing at all. We have a few Spanish stations. And uh, as far as anything other than English goes, that's it. Yep, Spanish and English are the two languages that I've ever heard on the radio in Denver. And that the other team verified, too. They've never heard Russian come through the spirit box. They've never heard Russian come through any radio in Denver. Right. So that was really, really awesome. And something we will always remember as one of our coolest spirit box captures. Oh, yeah. Um, if you check out our YouTube channel, there are a couple of really good EVPs from Cheeseman Park. Um, yeah, we got a couple of some of the best EVPs we've ever gotten, really. Yeah, one of our very best EVPs, the little child saying, hold my hand, when nobody was talking, and it's clearly a young child that's talking right. in that EVP. Right. And we believe uh, that we encountered a vortex or something similar, um, some sort of a doorway to another realm. Yeah, that is one of the biggest legends of Cheeseman Park amongst paranormal investigators and ghost hunters in Colorado is that there's at least one, if not two, vortexes or doorways to another dimension in the park just because of the history and all the energy that's there. So if you live in Colorado, um, interdimensional travel, anyone? Right. Interdimensional travel agency. We should start that next. Yes. Stay tuned. (laughs) And then we've also investigated the park just across the street, Congress Park, which during the uh, park's days as a cemetery... It used to be part of the same cemetery that Cheeseman Park was a part of. And that's also where the pest house was located, too, where they sent people that were too sick to get better, and they would just banish them basically to the pest house to die. And although we haven't really caught anything, like captured any evidence on camera or digital recorder or even through EMF, we have had a couple experiences there where we saw, where we've seen like shadows moving between the trees heard noises such as footsteps walking through the park when it was just us there too, but we definitely want to get back there, both the Cheeseman and Congress, and try to get some right. definitive evidence. Again, yeah, I remember Congress um, especially. I remember seeing a lot of the shadow figures and whatnot moving through the trees, and uh, it definitely feels out in Congress Park, and I've been there also um, a couple of times not doing paranormal investigation, and I remember every time I've been there, it's just like there's people running from tree to tree when there's nobody else in the park you're there at three o'clock in the morning and you're the only people living people there as odd as it's going to sound the best way to describe it is it feels busy but totally still right which if you're a paranormal investigator you'll you'll know what that feeling is but for those of you who aren't paranormal investigators like just just try your best to imagine being busy but still yeah just get out there go to haunted locations go check them out and then moving on, next location would be the Lumber Baron Inn. Oh, very cool place. Built back in approximately 1870 by a Scottish immigrant to the United States who was a lumber baron. It, be, it was his house for a number of years, and it was in the family. And then during the 1960s and 70s, it became like low-rent um, apartments and housing for people. And there was, back in 
oh, if I remember correctly, uh, 1969, there was a double homicide, which is still, as of yet, unsolved. It's one of Colorado's most famous cold cases, and the Lumber Baron Inn is one of Colorado's most well-known haunted locations. Oh, yeah. Uh, three, well, I believe it was three stories. It's very. It's a large yep. place, um, kind of in downtown Denver. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful location, beautiful house, fun to wander around. We've only been there once, and that was on a public ghost hunt um, led by Spirit P.I., if I remember correctly. I think correctly. that was it, yeah. Haven't heard much from them since and yeah in a long time a long time have to look into them see if they're still around yeah but yeah that one was pretty cool because uh we talked we talked to everybody and it was known that we were also a paranormal investigation team so they were asking spirit pi they were asking the host questions but they knew that we were involved so a lot of questions were also being directed towards us so it's kind of one of our really one of our first interactions with the public in general Mm -hmm. yeah that was our first taste of answering questions for the public because we went there just because we saw the event uh listed online we bought tickets to it we figured it'd be fun be able to check out one of colorado's most famous haunted locations and then they found out we were a paranormal group so questions came our way too and we discovered oh hey this is kind of fun helping educate the public and helping other people learn about the paranormal as well we uh, did spirit box session in what's known as the Valentine Room, which is where the double homicide occurred. And actually, Spirit PI told us while we were doing it that they've done that every time they've been there and had a ghost tour. And they actually pick up the same first name each time when they ask, um, who murdered you? And another interesting thing about that room is that's the one that was the first and the only time, really, that uh, I've been in a room and had to exit the room because of feelings from the energy. And one of our another cool spirit box session interaction happened there as well. We were all in the room. There was the four of us at the time for the spirit trackers team, two other people who were on the ghost tour, plus the person from uh, Spirit PI who was leading the spirit box session. And he asked, how many people in the room right now? And a voice came through saying, eight. And the guy from Spirit PI is like, oh, well, that was close. Like, you almost got it. I'm going to ask you, like, one more time, how many people in the room right now? And the voice came through again for a second time. And if you've ever watched Ghost Adventures or watched any other paranormal shows, you know it's very rare for a spirit to answer the same question twice, ever, whether it's an EVP, whether it's a disembodied voice, or through the spirit box, or even an ovilus or another device you very rarely get the same exact answer to the same exact question that you just asked. So he asked it for a second time, how many people in this room? And the voice came through again saying eight. And I was like, hey, there's seven of us in the room right now. What if he's including himself as the eighth person in the room? And then that's kind of when the whole vibe to the room changed. And about a couple minutes later, Dylan had to walk out because of just an overwhelming, intense, energetic feeling to the room. Oh, yeah. It's very heavy pressure on my chest um that was terrible that was terrible that's definitely the worst i've ever felt in a in a haunted location uh yeah (laughs) i wish that's the worst i've ever felt in a haunted location but then we've also investigated a couple abandoned places oh yeah for those who don't know we're also very 
into urban exploration, which is exploring usually abandoned, uh, abandoned places, such as houses, factories, military installations, the likes. Those underground bases that these podcasts are always talking about? We've been there. Oh, they yeah. exist. And they're really cool. But yes. um, we've only ever investigated... You and I have investigated two of these locations together, right. and then Zach and I investigated up at Sunrise together. Right, yeah. Um, so we've been to technically three of these locations, to three, ha- three abandoned haunted locations to investigate. But the first location we ever investigated that was abandoned was in a little town, well, a little unincorporated community on the outskirts of the Denver metro area called Layden. Very cool. Um, old mining town uh, or mining outpost if you want to call it that yeah it used to be a town back in its heyday it was a small coal mining town um would mine coal ship it off to golden in denver in the early 1900s a mining accident happened and i believe it was like eight to ten people died in the accident Um, oh yeah yeah i believe it was double digits yeah um there was a big fire that broke out underground and that's never a good sign when you're a coal miner or a miner in general and a fire breaks out underground it never ends well and uh all that's left today is a couple foundations um you'll see an adit in one of the rock walls out there and you'll see a couple little pieces of mining infrastructure kind of scattered throughout the hills and the mountainside but back when we went wow this was i don't even remember when we went five years six years ago yeah. Because I was, I was 20. We went on the night of my 21st birthday. Well, you're dating yourself on the podcast. People already know how old you are. I'm older than you think I am, but younger than you think I am. Aha. I'll let you figure that one out. But uh, we went back there a few years back. Um, my math isn't working out in my head. So, uh, and back then, there used to be three main spots to Leyden. You had one section that had quite a few cement structures left standing. That was very popular with paintballers and airsofters in the Denver area. And then you had two small outlying buildings, kind of a good half mile or so away from this main cement area. And one of the small buildings was just there. Nothing much happened there. There was a couple pieces of graffiti, but that was about it. Yeah. But then the second outlying building, which sits just up on the hill, was a site. I forget where I found my information, but I was doing some online research and uh, found this place. This is how I first heard about Leyden from somebody else who had gone there and done some research and said that this was a site that had satanic rituals and occult activity and spiritualist-type worship happened there. Even the KKK used to meet there. And you see signs of it on the walls. They've painted over it in recent years, but back when we went, there was symbols, religious symbols, phrases all over the place. And this is not a big building no this is a small two-room cement slash brick structure it's basically the size of most people's living rooms mm-hmm. and the only thing that separated the two rooms from each other was another cement wall in the middle with a doorway and the west wall had fallen out the ceiling was mostly gone there's a big opening in the front of the building the door on the east side was wide open and it had the inscription abandon all hope ye who enter here always awesome to see yes always a welcome sign yes <laughs> And um, as I remember the first time that we even went there, before we even got to the location, it was a foggy night. Um, and we were going with a friend of ours. That was one of the first times, at least. Um, and, and before was, we even you, got up there, there was already, we saw something 
scurrying across the road, which wasn't there. And then when you and I went later on the night that I'm referencing, I saw this white figure run across the road once, and then a little while later, running along the side of the road, and we could never find any signs yeah. of anybody else being there. Didn't hear anything, and you never saw it. I was the only one that saw it. Yeah, we went on we went on a little hike around the area for that one. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, the first time we went there, it was crazy active. It was middle of September, in the middle of the night. It's cold in Colorado. And you walked inside that building, and it was like a sauna. And like I said, this is a cement brick building that had openings all over the place. It should be the exact same temperature inside that building as it is outside. Right. But you walked in, and it was like, oh, let's take off the jacket, kick off the shoes, kick back and relax kind of temperature. Yeah. And unfortunately, we don't have any of the audio... Um, we don't have any of the audio files from our EVP sessions that we did there, but we caught chanting, footsteps, voices, inhuman growls that made our blood go cold. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so many stories from that location. Um, one of the prevailing theories about Leyden is that there are some hellhounds in that area. And that's theories that have stemmed from us and our yeah. investigations there and things we've observed yeah yeah that's uh, that's something that we definitely um think is a possibility because three times we've been there and we've been there well i want to say you've been there six times i've been there six times yeah i was gonna say we've been about half a dozen times or so and then we've been there five times together and pretty much half the times we've been there we hear howls and that's not just like one or two howls like you would expect from a coyote it starts with one dog howling, and then you start hearing it, and it surrounds the entire building until there's a chorus of nonstop howling in a full circle around the building. Yeah. And it's not close, but it's not far. But you can't see anything. You don't hear any signs of dogs or coyotes being in the area. You don't see any signs of them. It just all of a sudden starts up. Yeah. And it doesn't stop until you get in your car and you start driving away, and then it just goes away. And last time we were there... Uh, actually, this is something that we haven't really had happen when we were there before, but uh, there were just shadow figures all over the place. It seemed like everywhere you looked, there'd just be a shadow figure running up a hill or uh, standing at the top of the hill watching you. And what's interesting about Leyden now is it's being developed in that area, and there's now housing developments encroaching within a couple hundred yards of that building. When before, the first time we went, there was no housing developments for miles around. Oh, yeah. The that closest was really, house was probably two or three miles away. Yeah, that was really middle of nowhere. Um, and now it's, now it's just a five-minute walk down the road from a housing development, which is sad, but probably pushing whatever entities, creatures, spirits are in that area closer to that building or to that building. Right. And last time we went, which was, what, a year and a half ago now? Two yeah. years ago. Yeah, right about um, because of its history, we had just gotten a Ouija board, and we wanted to get a Ouija board to see, okay, hey, is, are all the myths about this thing, all the scary stories about this thing real? Is it going to cause bad activity just by owning it? Right. I've had it for two years now, nothing. I've had it out in the house, we've used it in the house, but for our first test, we decided, hey, we're going to go jump in with both feet. Feet first, safety second. Yeah. Not yeah, even worry about it. And, uh, <laughs> We took it to Leyden, to that building where a satanic, occultish, spiritualistic, KKK activity has happened, and where one of my scarier experiences has ever happened. Um, I'm not going to go into detail on that. Um, probably say that for a later episode. Oh, yeah. But 
we figured if anything negative is associated with a Ouija board, or if Ouija boards attract anything negative, Leyden's going to be the place to try it out at. And we stayed there for 20 minutes and nothing happened. It wasn't until we were leaving that we started seeing the shadow figures. And uh, down by this culvert that goes underneath the road up to the development now, we heard a very, very loud growl come from under the culvert. Yes. And you could hear footsteps, something walking around in the water, because there's some standing water in this culvert. And this culvert's about seven feet high, about six feet wide. There's a few inches of water standing in it, so we couldn't go in there to investigate because we weren't, didn't have the right footwear for it. And it goes back about 10, 15 feet and then tees off. And we could hear growls and noises coming from inside the culvert, but we never once saw the water move. Yeah, there hear... was some pretty heavy splashing in there. Whatever it was, um, it was at least like deer-sized. It had plus, some weight to it. Say. And we're wanting to go back and investigate it. Maybe do make it a cryptid investigation. Be more focused on cryptids and creatures instead of spirits and ghosts. Yeah. So if we ever do that, we will keep you posted and uh, follow us Instagram, Facebook, and on our website, on our blog to keep track of what we're up to because we will be going back to Leyden and soon. But then the next location that we've gone to that was abandoned is the most active and the most haunted place we have ever been in our almost decade of investigation. Dum, dum, dum. This was a small abandoned orphanage in Brighton, Colorado. There's not much history to it. There used to be seven buildings on the property. Three of them had fallen down. There's only four buildings left. The main building, um, two sheds, and then a sm- uh, like a secondary building. The two sheds and the secondary building didn't have any activity. The main building's a building that had all the activity in it. And it was a two-story building with two basements. It was mostly gutted on the top floor. All that was left was plywood floors and two-by-fours. The first basement was pretty much original. Had the dirt floor, had walls, had colors, had some some of the artifacts from its history. The second basement had a hallway and four rooms. The walls between the hallway were still up. The doors were gone. The walls between the two rooms, or the four rooms, were all missing, though. There's two rooms on each side of the hallway. And that was crazy. Oh, yeah. We got to investigate it twice, thankfully. But this was back at a time when we didn't have very much equipment with us. Or very good equipment, yeah. We only really had... The first time we went, we only had a digital recorder. Second time we went, we only took a GoPro and an EMF meter. But we were there for an hour that first time. And we got, I want to say, if I remember correctly, 22 audio anomalies in one hour, including voices, unexplained music, footsteps, intelligent audio responses to our questions and our prompts, a growl, and what else was there? There was a lot. Oh, I don't even, <clears throat> I don't stuff even remember that we caught. everything. We caught that little boy's voice talking. We caught the piano music. At one point I said, if there's any spirits here, make a noise. And not even two seconds later, a very loud crashing sound happens in the room with us. Yeah. And, and nothing in the room to crash. Mm-hmm. And then something that was really cool, we were in one of the rooms together, and I heard what sounded like footsteps. And I looked at Dylan, like, dude, did you just hear those footsteps? And Dylan goes, yeah, well, I heard something, but I've also seen a shadow walk into the room. And what's awesome is the footsteps were captured on the digital recorder at the same exact time, right at the time that Dylan saw a shadow walk into the room. Right. So we have audio evidence backing up our personal experience that we saw. Yeah. 
Um, we also, while we were there, there were a couple of pretty crazy experiences that we had. Um, as we had mentioned, the walls were kind of taken down to the studs. So we were looking at the walls, where the walls had been, and the studs just sort of started to morph and, and uh, bend Yeah, warp as we were watching them. And something that was very freaky there was the presence of a, at least seven-foot-tall dark entity. Because we were standing in one of the rooms looking through the doorway into the hallway, which, by the way, we had seen with our own eyes darkness just kind of flowing down that hallway in one direction. Yeah. You could see it moving. It was like a river, which we've never experienced before or seen since. Right. And at one point, I just saw this massive figure hunched over walk past that doorway at about the same time Dylan heard something. About a minute later, I heard some footsteps shuffle up in front of me at the same exact time Dylan saw a hand appear in front of his face. That was that was absolutely crazy. Um I had no doubt in my mind that Daniel had just reached in front of my face, but sure enough, he hadn't. That's how um, physical, basically, the manifestation was, that I actually believed it was another human being. And what's crazy is I heard footsteps shuffling directly in front of me, and I was standing right next to Dylan, like within arm's reach. So whatever made the sound in front of me put its hand in front of Dylan's face. Yeah. And there was a point where we were standing together, and there was light, moonlight coming through one of the windows behind us, casting our shadows onto a wall. And there was a third shadow that was standing a good head and shoulders above ours, yeah. cast onto the wall as well. And we were the only two people in the building at the time. So there's no reason that there should have been a third shadow being cast on the wall. And it stood head and shoulders above us, yeah. like I had mentioned, which right. is not a comforting thought. No. Um, and that place, actually something that I've never really had happen before is whatever was down there didn't like the fact that we were there together and didn't want us to be together. And I remember specifically um, one time when we were there out of the whole twice that we were there. Um, but basically I had felt myself like starting to walk away. So I was walking away from Daniel and then I stopped and I was like, wait, why am I, why am I walking away? So I came back and next thing I know, I start moving away again. Um, and whatever was there was definitely trying to separate the two of us for whatever purpose. Uh, probably not, probably not a, a good, fun, wholesome purpose. Yeah, it definitely had an odd, I wouldn't say like demonic or malicious intent to it, but it wasn't happy that we were together. Right. Because there's always noises happening in other rooms. We were each experiencing things at the same time, although different experiences. Right. Um, most of the time, when you're ghost hunting and you have a, and you experience something at the same time, it's going to be like a door closing or a noise on the wall or a light that you both see or a voice that you both hear at the same time. We were experiencing things at the same time that were totally different from each other, such as Dylan, he Dylan hearing a noise while I saw that massive figure walk past the doorway me hearing shuffling footsteps in front of me when D Dylan saw the hand in front of his face. But then at this, on the other hand, we both saw the two-by-four beams warping at the same time. Right. It was very crazy. Um, a lot of the activity, I feel, was trying to get us on different sides of that hallway. Yeah, and we never actually split up into different sides of the hallway. No. We both kind of stayed no, together. Didn't. That was one. Typically, um, we're definitely 
fine with splitting up and going into different areas. But that one, we uh, we stayed together in that one because we felt that, you know, we were being pulled to different places and we, we weren't big fans of that idea. And there was so much activity and so much happening on cue, so much intelligent responses and big intelligent responses that it was like, yeah, it's best if we stay together. Right. And the second time we went is when we think we found a vortex or a portal because we went with another friend of ours who wasn't really into the paranormal. Um, we brought cigars with us to kind of just relax, see what happened, kind of introduce him to the paranormal, but he decided he didn't want to join us, so he went back to his car. Dylan and I went inside, so we started walking around, just seeing what would happen. And like I said, the second time we went, we brought a GoPro at night with no light. Makes sense. So we didn't really use that. We also had our EMF meter, our mail meter, um, that wasn't really picking up anything, but we were still having some experiences. It wasn't right. as active as the first time. Yeah. But the crazy thing was I had my phone out and I was standing in the hallway where we'd seen the darkness just flowing. And I took a puff of the cigar, uh, the cigar, exhaled, and I watched the smoke rise up towards the ceiling, start going down the hallway, spiral, and then spiral up into the ceiling and disappear. And I did it twice and the same exact thing happened. Then I called Dylan over and showed him, and he got to see it, too. We can't explain it. Oh, yeah. So that's a weird thing. It's a weird thing to have happen. And it's the second time we've... That was the second time we ever used cigars as paranormal tools. Right. Although this time we were enjoying them at the same time, with no fear of burning down a building. Ghost hunting cigar smokers. (laughs) Gars and ghosts. (laughs) That's what we should call the podcast. (laughs) Yes, we should have. But then moving back on to some of the other locations we've been to, we've been to a couple locations, just small, quick little investigations, such as the Colorado Prison Museum. Right. Got a couple EVPs, audio anomalies in the um, the gas chamber. Very, very cool. That was such awesome. as hearing like a dripping sound, such as the solution that they would fill up the gas chamber with. We can't explain that. Right. And then we've investigated Rouse Park. Had a couple experiences there. Dylan's had some experiences there himself. But it closes after dark. We didn't know that. We got kicked off, but didn't get in trouble. Yeah. Um, that the, happens. The officer was a little confused when he asked us what we're doing. They're like, oh, we're paranormal investigators. He goes, paranormal investigators? That was so funny. That, that was pretty funny. And then he told us to go to down this one road that was supposedly haunted. And he told us to park in the middle of it, in the middle of the night, shut our lights off, and sit there for a half hour to see what would happen. Things that are paranormal to paranormal investigators, and that was way up there at the top of our list. (laughs) We still can't figure out why he told us to do that, and we still joke about it to this day. (laughs) Then back in 2016, we discovered the Dickens Opera House. Actually, we discovered that back in 2011, on our first investigation. Right. As fate would have it, the Longmont Masonic Lodge shares a wall with the Dickens Opera House. Directly next door. And we could hear activity happening on the other side of the wall when we would investigate at the Longmont Lodge. We'd always wondered, is there activity at the Opera House? Because it shares a wall with the Longmont Lodge, which is itself extremely haunted. We had completely forgotten about the Dickens Opera House until we saw an ad for a new film festival called the Dickens Horror Film Festival. And being filmmakers and film buffs and paranormal investigators and videographers and media everything above, basically. Um, we reached out to them and like, Hey, 
We see that you're at the Dickens Opera House, which is a haunted location. We're a paranormal investigation team. We do films. Can we partner up with you? And they said yes. And we haven't looked back. Right. That's, uh, that began a years-long relationship that has turned into us producing the Horror Film Festival. Uh, we investigate Dickens Horror... <laughs> we investigate Dickens Opera House um, at least once a year doing kind of a little mini documentary that we show at the film festival, uh, just chronicling our paranormal investigation and all the things that go on there. Because if you're going to host a horror film festival at a haunted location, you can't not show some of the haunted activity that takes place there. Oh, yeah. just It's it's against the law, I think. I'm pretty sure there's a law against that. Probably. We'll have to look into the law of the paranormal laws or the, the law of physics. Some law. It Something. Breaks. Some sort of law. <laughs> but... The Dickens has turned out to be one of our favorite locations, one of our most haunted locations, and the spirits are starting to know us now. Oh, yeah. As an example would be, they know me by name. I've had my name spoken through EVP. I've also had my name spoken through the spirit box, and I've had an entity there mimic my voice. If that's That one's interesting. That's, that's not yeah. knowing us, then I don't know what is. <laughs> We've had a lot of activity there. We've verified one of the spirits who's there right the, the most famous spirit is called cassie a female spirit that haunts the upper hallways between the uh, upstairs bathroom and the opera bar and we were doing a spirit box session up there during one of our investigations and i asked we were we were talking to this man this male spirit who had come through a couple times on the spirit box and i asked who are you with and a couple seconds later you hear cassie in the same exact voice which is really awesome yeah. To verify one of the spirits is there. Right. Um, we've gotten the same name at Dickens that we've gotten twice at the Longmont Masonic Lodge also. Uh, so that's that's really, really cool. That's really compelling because is that proof that spirits can travel between walls or do they use the doors like we do? Just wait for somebody to open the door or they, do they just walk through the door? Right. I, I mean, I guess they walk through the door either way because that's kind of what you do. Right, yeah, through the doorway, sure. Do they go through the solid door, or do they open the door to go through the door? We don't know yet. One day we will. Yes, indeed. And then, while there's nothing overly evil or malicious there, the last time we were there, one of our guest, in, or, well, our guest investigator, JT, who is the lead investigator and founder of Ghost Theory Crew, who has also been around since 2011, um, a really good friend of ours, they do really good stuff, they... I've invest- investigated quite a few schools throughout the Denver area. Right. Um, highly recommend checking them out on YouTube. Yeah, and um, we'll definitely have JT um, on the podcast yep, a we'll, couple times. We'll have him on. He has some crazy stories to tell. He grew up in a crazy haunted house. Oh, yes. Um, the haunted house he grew up in is the equivalent to the Brighton Orphanage for us. So just to tease JT being on the show, whenever he's on, you will want to be listening to that. Yeah. But he got scratched. I want to be listening to that. Yeah. We will be listening to that. Oh, oh, we'll be on it, yeah. We'll be on it. True. And listening. Unless, of course, something happens with the headphones. Yeah. Or the recorder. Makes it a little difficult. That does. But we were down in the basement, and he walked into the basement kitchen and got scratched on his neck. Like a really, really nasty scratch, too. Almost bleeding. Oh, yeah. And clearly, you can see on our videos, he didn't scratch himself. Nobody else touched him there. He didn't bump into anything. And 27 seconds before he walked in, he walks right in front of one of our cameras, and you can clearly see there's no scratch on his neck. 
Right. And he walks into the base, into the kitchen, and reacts pretty heavily to something scratching him, like most people would. And this is now massive scratch on his neck. Yeah. Well, none of us have ever had any physical attacks or anything, felt anything malicious there. And I've talked to some other teams who've been there, and they've never felt anything negative either. We don't know if JT bothered his spirit, if it's something that, if it's a spirit that's attached to JT that did something to him, because we're pretty sure that JT has a spirit or two that's attached to him. Yeah, that's the, um, that's the current theory. So we're pretty sure that it was whatever was attached to him wasn't happy with something. We can't say, though. We just know that it's some of our most compelling evidence. Right. We've also caught some extraterrestrial-type music there, too. Uh, very. That very was... Weird. Very weird. It's one of those pieces of evidence that you know when you show it that nobody's going to believe that you didn't add that in yourself or that that wasn't somebody playing music on site. Right. But it was absolutely not audible to either Zach, who is one of our team members, he's going to be on later shows as well, nor I, because we were the only two together up in the second-story hallway at the time when it was captured. Neither one of us heard it. And it was captured a couple minutes after we both heard a growl, and we heard this growl. This was also a fun story. We're sitting up, trying to communicate with Cassie. We hear this noise come from the room next to us, and Zach goes, oh, that was a car outside. And I was sitting directly next to the room, so I knew that wasn't a car. And I was like, no, that wasn't a car. That sounded like a growl. And right after I say that, another voice comes through saying, was not. An intelligent response saying that that was not a car outside is agreeing with us in the moment that wasn't a car. That's some pretty incredible intelligent interaction and intelligent response. And like I said, Zach and I were the only two up there at the time. Dylan was down on the main floor with the other two people who we were leading on an introductory ghost hunt. They were nowhere close to us at the time. So we can't explain where that voice came from, where that growl came from, or this extraterrestrial type music. Yeah. And if you go to a YouTube channel, um, or you go to the website, go to the Our Films tab, watch Spirits of the Opera, The Return, towards the end of the video is when you will be able to hear both the EVP, the growl, and the extraterrestrial music. Yeah, I was just planning on plugging that myself, so good job. Thank you, great minds but, think yeah, alike. All of the all of our stuff on YouTube, um, you don't have to just take our word for it. all of this stuff. You can go see it yourself on our YouTube. Except for their orphanage, um, I will get some video, some uh, audio clips up. We have no video from there. We only have audio from the first time we investigated. I have released six of the more compelling and better audio anomalies that we captured on our Instagram page. So follow us at spirit underscore trackers underscore team on Instagram. We interact with all our fans. We have some behind the scenes stuff, talk about a lot of our equipment, and we have we do release some of the EVPs and video clips that we catch too yeah. through our Instagram. So, so follow us there. Check us out on just about any kind of platform that you can think of and we're on there. And then finally, the last place we've investigated was the Wings of the Rockies Museum. Very cool place. Um, I've actually lived in Colorado uh, for over 10 years, and I still have not been there until we went there in the middle of the night for a paranormal investigation. And it's a massive place, but it's a small massive place because it's not like Waverly Hills or an abandoned hotel or an abandoned insane asylum that's haunted that has a lot of square footage and a lot of rooms and hallways. This is one massive hangar, along with a couple hallways off to the side and a couple rooms off to the side. And 
we spent five hours there. We experienced some pretty fun stuff right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Uh, seven minutes after we got there, because we had gone back and watched the security camera footage, seven minutes after we got there, the light, all the lights in the building basically shut off on us. Um, the light switch was in kind of a hallway, and right after the lights turned off, I kind of was just looking in that area. I didn't even know that the light switch was over there, but I saw a shadow figure come out of that little hallway and walk in the opposite direction of where we were at. And what's interesting is the fact that there was six of us there investigating, the four of us from the Spirit Trackers, me, Dylan, Kaylee, and Zach, and then both members of Ghost Theory crew, JT and Matt. There was also three event coordinators from Wings who were there to greet us and kind of help us get started. And we were all together in the main hangar when this happened. And we just thought, okay, the lights are on a timer. We're here after hours. Right. This must be the time they shut off. All three event coordinators were like, whoa, what was that? This never happens. This has never happened before. Yeah, and it, they've worked there for years. And they've been there late at night. They spent the night. They've been there with another team. They've done events at night. That never happens. And there's no timer. None of the lights are on a timer. It's on a switch. And we can't explain what happened. And then about five minutes before we left, there was the six of us, one of the event coordinators and his girlfriend. And we were talking with him, just kind of, making small talk and talking about the investigation as we were getting ready to head out, all the lights again shut off by themselves. Again, we can't explain it. None of us were over by the light switch. We don't know. So they shut off right when we got there and right before we left, and they've never shut off before. That was, that was pretty cool. And we've caught some really, really, really interesting visual evidence, our best visual evidence to date. I'm still going through the footage. We will be cutting together and releasing our little episode on our YouTube page as soon as we finish. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or on our website, and you will be able to see when we release that. We'll make the announcement there. It'll probably be available by the time people are actually listening to this. True. I forgot about that. Right. So check out our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, or website to see if it's up by then, um, by the time you're listening to this. Uh, we'll just take a second to uh, talk about uh, our distribution channels. Um, as of this recording, we have now been approved on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, and a few other um, smaller podcast platforms. Right now we're waiting, we are, I think the only one we're waiting for right now is Stitcher. So um, there's a lot of ways that you can find us. And however you're finding us right now, if you could uh, just go ahead and click that subscribe button, and if you could leave us a review, that'd be awesome. Download this episode, subscribe, download our previous episode, because there's some stuff that we talk about on there that you'll want to hear, and that'll help us out a lot and get our podcast out to more people. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed this. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if you've been to any of these locations, and if you have, please let us know if you've experienced anything. We'd love to hear your stories. Um, let us know of any locations that you would like to see us go investigate. We can't promise we're going to get in them. We've been doing our darndest to try to get into a bunch of locations. Um, you hear back from maybe 10% of those. Right. And of those 10% that get back to you, 90% of those say no. Um, don't know what it is. Out here in Colorado, it's a little bit more difficult for paranormal investigators to get into locations unless we just don't know the trick. But... We're working on it. 
There's a couple locations we'd love to get into. We want to go investigate the prison museum. We're hoping to be able to get back to the Lumber Baron Inn. Highlands Masonic Lodge would be an awesome one. We'd love to get into the Oriental Theater. I've heard some good stuff about that location. Places in Manitou Springs. I know that's a pretty haunted town in and of itself. Pretty crazy place. Yeah, for sure. The Stanley would be fun. It's the most well-known and most famous hunt location in Colorado. Always making top five, top ten lists for the United States as well. We've never investigated it. I've been there a couple times just being in Estes Park. We'd love to investigate there, but it's expensive. And you can't get the whole hotel for the night. Right. They're not very open and welcoming of paranormal investigators. Usually you have to just book a room and then you're stuck investigating your room. And if you try to go out into the halls, you get in trouble. So if we've got a Patreon link up yet, go ahead and click that donate button. Maybe we can make it to the Stanley <laughs> Hotel. So we'd love to do that, but there's a lot of complications with the Stanley as well. Yeah. But if you've been to the Stanley and have had experiences, definitely leave us a comment below. For sure. Let us know. If there's places throughout the United States you'd love to see us go, let us know. We are open to travel. We're going to be traveling this year. We're going out to wow. Missouri to investigate. We're going to be up in Wyoming again to investigate. We love to travel. We love to see new places. Let us know. There's no place we'll say no to. Oh, not at all. The more haunted, the better. So thank you guys for tuning in. Stay tuned for the next episodes. We will be talking about a lot more. Oh, yeah. Not just ghost stuff. Don't worry. And we're not just going to focus on Colorado. Um, So if you're not from Colorado, don't worry. We've got plenty of stuff that we'll talk about to interest you. So thank you guys and have yourself a wonderful day. Full Spectrum Paranormal Podcast, out.